Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs that you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. It's so lovely to be with you all. You'll have to forgive me. Um, one of the kind of upshots of my being ill is I, I can't stand very well for very long, so I have to sort of perch on a bar stool, so I'm sorry about that kind of posture. We've prayed. It'd be a great help to me if you could have John 13 open in front of you. I don't know what page is it in your... Is it 1,066 in your Bibles? It is in mine. I don't, I don't, that doesn't really help you, does it? <laughs> have John 3 open in front of you. We've prayed, so I'm going to dive in. Brothers and sisters, Jesus says, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love neighbor. And I wonder how you feel about that. Love God, love neighbor. When it comes to loving God, some people are not really sure because they're not really sure if God is real. Why would I love God if I don't even think he's real? But most people I've spoken to over the years, the reason they are not sure about loving God is because they're not sure if God loves them. And maybe that's you. Maybe you're hurting 
You're thinking, if God really loved me, how could he let this happen? So you're not really sure if he loves you, so you're not really sure if you can really love him. Or maybe like many people, you're thinking, well, if God really loved me, he'd want me to be happy, wouldn't he? So why doesn't he want me, why doesn't he want me to have sex? And in your mind, that's the clue, that's the sign that God doesn't really have your best interests at heart, doesn't really love you, so you don't really feel like loving him. Or maybe you're just so used to other people making you feel unlovable that you fear God is like everyone else. You, you fear being rejected by him. You just can't imagine he could love you so you just can't imagine loving him. And friends, I want to look at just one verse from John chapter 3, verse 16. Beautiful verse, famous verse, that shows us the depths of God's love for us. And it may be that you're thinking, well, it's always good to hear about God's love, but, you know, the, the, the think of the occasion. Some of us are heading off to Phillips Street, and the rest of us are going to have to step up here in Headley Park. How is, how is talking about God's love going to set us up for that? Well, think of the two halves, what Jesus calls us to, love God, love neighbor. If I love God, I will love what he loves. He loves my neighbors, my colleagues, my family, my friends. Loving God will mean loving the people around me, the people around here, the people around Phillip Street, Bedminster. Loving them will mean you hang out with them, you go to the places they go to, you open your heart to them, you open your home to them, you give them your time, and maybe if they're in need, you give them your money, your stuff, and loving them will mean telling them about the Lord Jesus. And they might not like that. And they might turn on you. And that'll be hard. And you'll say, why did, why did I give up my church family that I love? Why did I move house? Why did I come here? It's hard. Friends, the only way I will love God when it's hard is if I know in the depths of my heart the depths of his love for me. So, John 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God, in His love, has given us His Son. The very fact that the God of the Bible has a Son speaks of His love, because it means the God of the Bible is not a force. He is a Father. In fact, the God of the Bible is the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Not three gods, one God, three persons, united in love. And oh, there is mystery there, but there is wonder. Because it, what it means is the God of the Bible is unlike any other God. He is not just a lonely God who does loving things once in a while, but He's a God whose very nature is love. He is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit united in love from before the beginning of time. 
And I want to pick out just three things this verse tells us about His love for us. And the first thing it tells us is that God's love is undeserved. God's love is undeserved. In John's writings, world is a technical term. It's not so much our planet as our culture. It's shorthand for people who don't love God. And friends, you can tell we don't love God, because if we loved God, we'd love the things that God loves. God loves peace, and we live in a world of war. And God loves justice, and we live in a world where the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. And God loves people, and the truth is we find that hard. And don't Christmas holidays kind of expose just how hard we find it? Because we say things we wish we hadn't said. We do things we regret. And what happens is we end up hurting the people who mean the most to us. And we wish we didn't, but we just can't help ourselves. It's what we're like. And we have picked up this idea that if there is a God, then if he's going to love you, you've got to be good. So what people think is that the people, the people who go to church, what, what people think they're doing is they're trying to be good to get God to love them. And sadly, that's why in so much church going, there is so little joy. Because if God loves you because you're good, what is the big deal about God's love? I mean, it's no more than we deserve, is it? It's nothing to get excited about. But notice Jesus just doesn't say, for God so loved the nice people. For God so loved the respectable people, the good people, the churchgoers. The wonder of God's love is that God so loved the world. God so loved people who don't love Him, who use His name as a swear word, who have such a low view of Him that they think they're better off without Him. People who've run off and messed up His planet and messed up His people and messed up themselves, and Jesus says those are the sort of people God loves so loves. And I think one of the reasons it's so hard for us to get our heads around God's love for us is we've been brought up to say, I love you because you're funny, or I love you because you're clever, or you're beautiful. And it sounds like the language of love, doesn't it? But it so easily translates into, I love you for what you can do for me. And so today, you, you make me happy, so I love you, but tomorrow, if you don't make me happy, and that's why we're so afraid in so many of our relationships, we're so afraid to be honest, because we don't want them to find out what we're really like, in case they don't love what we're really like, in case they walk away. And friends, this is the God who made us and he says, I know what you're really like. I know all the ways in which you are not lovely, but whoever you are, whatever you have done, whatever has been done to you, I love you. Just, just pause in and take in the wonder of a love that's like that. It's not a love we deserve because we did good. Do you see what that means? It means it's not a love we can undeserve when we do bad. 
which means it is a love that's for keeps. He's not blind to our failings. By his spirit, he's going to help us to change. He's going to help us to change and live the life we were created for. But in all the ups and downs of that, he is never, ever going to stop loving us. Friends, take that into your hearts for the days when loving him is really hard. And you wonder if it, if it, wonder if it was a mistake to be on the team that are moving to, to Phillip Street. And you feel you're not doing a very good job of loving him. And you're not doing a very good job of loving your neighbors. In fact, you've really messed up. And you wonder if God can still love you. And you, what does Jesus say? God so loved the people who came up to scratch. No! God so loved the world. God so loved the people who didn't even deserve it. Isn't it a wonderful thing to know you're loved with a love like this? It means whatever the future holds, he will never stop loving you. Which means whatever the future holds, you are totally safe because he will never leave you. Can't you love a God like that? Don't you want to love a God like that? His love is undeserved. Second thing we see from this verse is his love is costly. His love is costly. When it comes to buying presents, one of the first questions we often ask is, you know, what's the budget? When God gives us a gift, he does not scrimp on costs. Do you see how the verse goes on? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. I was reading a story um, recently of a family in Germany many years ago in a time of famine. Uh, it was a mother and a father and four children, uh, six hungry mouths to feed, no food. And the father said, let's sell one of our children for bread. That, that's how desperate they were. And, and the mother and the father began to think, well, which of the four should we sell? And they looked at their oldest, and they said, no, he's our firstborn. And they looked at the second oldest, and they said, no, he's, he's the spit image of father. And then the third, and she said, no, she, she's her mother's daughter in every way, and how can we sell her? And then they looked at the, the youngest, and they said, she, no, she's our, our little baby. We, and they couldn't do it. And they decided, they decided rather, rather starve together than give up one of their precious children. Of course, of course they did. A child is your own heart wrapped in another skin, isn't it? Parents. Here, those of you who are parents, think how precious your children are to you. Do you think God loves his son any less than we love our children? This is the son the father loved from before the beginning of time. This is the son who is the treasure of his father's heart. And yet he gives that treasure for us because that's what we are worth to him that's how much he wants us to share in the love that he has for his son enjoy the life they have together with the spirit the father says to the son he says will you go after my people my people who've turned away from my love will you go after them 
and be born in the raw for them and be misunderstood by your family for them and betrayed by a friend for them and mocked and whipped and nailed to a cross and die for them. Agony for the father, don't you think? To watch his precious son go through that. He knew how costly it would be, yet in his love, he says, will you go? And friends, don't ever think that Jesus is just a man God picks on. Jesus is the Son of God. The Son of God, the one who was with the Father from before the beginning of time. One time Jesus says to his disciples, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. Do you see? In his love, the Father says, will you go? And in his love, the Son says, yes, I will go. See, God, as we sometimes imagine him, is very hard to love, isn't he? He's out there beyond the stars. What does he care? What does he know about what hurts in my life? But do, do, do you see? Did you see God as he really is? He's given us his one and only son. As Neil was saying, last year I was very ill and I ended up in hospital and it got to the stage where they told me I had to call the children home from university. And I remember one night they took me, they took me for an x-ray at three o'clock in the morning. I don't know why. At three o'clock in the morning they wheeled me through all the kind of back corridors of the BRI and they left me in this corridor on this trolley alone. And I was in so much pain. And it was three o'clock in the morning and I felt so alone and so confused and I found myself asking God, do you, do, you, do you really love me? And then it hit me. I was lying on this trolley and it hit me, it hit me that I did not choose this pain or this suffering. It's just part of being a fallen human being in a fallen world. But in his love, God chose. The Father chose to give his son. The son chose to enter into the very worst of this world's suffering and this world's pain. And it changed the way I felt about him. Because there we are all cynical about him, saying, you don't love me. What do you care? What do you know? He, he loves me so much. He chose to enter our world and to suffer and die for me. Do you see what his love for you cost him? And friends, take that into your heart. Take it into your heart for when loving him is hard. And you say, well, I've moved home for him, and I'm missing my friends from church for him, and I'm dug into my savings for this, and I want my colleagues to respect me, and I tell them what we're doing, and they think I'm mad, and my family, they're, they're not at all impressed by my choices in life because I've chosen to follow Jesus. And I was making friends at the school gate, and I, was, I just wanted people to like me, and I started telling them about Jesus, and now they've, now they've turned against me, and I, and I feel I've given up a lot for God. It's cost me, and it makes me feel a little bit resentful, a little bit bitter towards him, and I wonder if he cares. It's hard to love him. And then I remember what it cost him love me. Of course he cares. God so loved the world 
that he gave his one and only son. His love is undeserved. His love is costly. Finally, his love meets our deepest need. His love meets our deepest need. We've had it already today. Jesus is enough. He's enough. Why did God give us his one and only son? Because he wanted to spoil my life. He wanted to take everything away from me, make me... No. Because he wanted to give something to me, and he wanted to give me the one thing worth having above all else. He wanted to give me eternal life. Do you see it there? That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We are perishing. Perishing means dying. The, the slightly foolish way I often think about it and talk about it is to think about how a whale is made for the ocean. In the ocean, a whale swims and sings and enjoys the life that it was made for, all that it means to be whale. And as a whale was made for the ocean, you and I were made for God. The life we were made for, life is life with Him. For some reason, though, we thought we were better off without God, and that is a bit like a whale thinking it's better off on the beach. On the beach, when whales get beached, I mean, it's still a whale, isn't it? It's still awesome, still beautiful in a way, but it's perishing. It's dying. What is a beached whale's greatest need? Is it, well, I could give it some sardines? Or, or water to keep it cool, but some blankets with soaked in water over it? Perhaps it would like some relaxing music to listen to. Perhaps that would kind of soothe it. What is a whale's greatest need? Beached whale's greatest need. A beached whale is a dead whale. Its greatest need is so obvious, isn't it? It needs to be put back into the ocean to be restored to the life it was made for. And human beings are awesome. We are beautiful in so many ways. But if we're not living with God, then we are like a whale on the beach. We are dying. We're cut off from God, and we face being cut off from Him forever. So what is our greatest need? A holiday? A new job? No, a new house, a bit more space, garden, a, a new relationship. Those are all valid needs, aren't they? But our greatest need, our greatest need is to be put back in the ocean, to be restored to the life with God we are created for. Do you see that? That's our greatest need. And that is why God sent his son into the world. Not just to be a comfort for those who are into that kind of thing, but because he knew how urgently we needed him to save us from perishing, to save us from eternal death, to give us eternal life give us the life we were made for. Life with God starts now, lasts forever. And of course, one of the reasons we don't really get that excited about what God has done for us, we don't kind of go, yes, is we don't really feel the need to be saved from eternal death. If you were a hostage in Gaza and you hear the news, you're going to be saved. 
There's a, there's a team from the UN. They're, they've been sent to get you. You're, you're going home. Just think of how that would register in your heart. The emotion of the moment. Yes! And God says, good news. Good news. I've sent my son to save you from perishing. But we don't really get that excited about it. Because we don't really think of ourselves as dying because we live in a culture that doesn't really want to talk about death, doesn't really want to face the reality of death. When I was in hospital, I was on a ward with um, men who were dying. And Gary, just across from me, was given five weeks to live. And his dad came to visit. And he said to his dad, he said, Dad, I've got five weeks to live. And his dad said, sorry I'm late. I had a real job finding a place to park. Gary said, Dad, they said I've got five weeks to live. And his dad said, next time, I think I'll come by bus. <laughs> Gary's dad did not want to talk about his son dying. I was so angry, I nearly got up out of my bed and sort of shook him. And, and then I realized Gary's dad was just like me. I was just like him. I, I was on a ward with men who were dying, and deep down I kept thinking, oh, there must have been some mistake. <laughs> there, must, there must have been some administrative error. You know, I, I'm not like these guys. These guys are like really ill. These guys are dying. I, I wasn't facing it. And I'm a pastor. I have taken plenty of funerals. But I don't think I had truly faced the reality of my own death. And I hadn't faced it for the same reason you haven't. Because life is lovely, isn't it? And we think we're just, we're just going to be here enjoying it forever. Endless rounds of evenings watching telly and weekends with a family and holidays by the sea. And, and so when I hear what God has done for me, it just doesn't seem that relevant. It doesn't feel like he's met my greatest need. I don't need saving from death. I don't feel I'm dying. There are all kinds of other things I need. It'd be great if, if God could sort them. I've got a whole long list of things I need. If God, if God has sent his son to sort them, that, but save me from death, I, it just doesn't feel like what I need. Yeah, Friends, life is so fragile. Opposite, right opposite me, there was Dave, who was a young father, who read bedtime stories on uh, FaceTime to his daughter every night. He was diagnosed three weeks earlier. And they told him there was nothing they could do for him. See, three weeks earlier, he had everything to look forward to. And now they were sending him home to die. Do, do, do you hear? It's not just the, the people on news, other people, people in Gaza. It's us. We are perishing. Life is so fragile. And God so loved us that he met our greatest need. He gave us his son that we shall not perish but have eternal life. You say, how does he do that? Well, in the verse before, Jesus explains. He says to Nicodemus, he's going to be lifted up. He's going to be lifted up on the cross. That's how he will give us eternal life. There on the cross, as one of us, he will die the death our sin deserves 
so we don't have to. He will be cut off so we don't have to be. He will pay for all our sin so there's nothing more for us to pay. In a nutshell, the good news is in his love, he came to stand in our place so we could stand in his and we could live in a loving relationship with his father that starts now and lasts forever. Friends, can I just say, when you have been told to call your children home because you only have days, it focuses the mind. And you get really clear about what your deepest need is. And you get very clear about all those things you thought you really needed, and you just realize they are nothing besides what you really need. And knowing that God has sent his son to save me from eternal death, Give me eternal life. To know that because of Jesus, I have a life that lasts beyond death, a life with him and a world made new, there is nothing more relevant, nothing more wonderful than knowing that. It is sweet, sweet news. And you see, you might look at your life and you might feel disappointed with God. And you say, I'm just not sure if he loves me. I'm not sure if he gets what I need. Do you see? Do you see what he has done to meet your deepest need? Get you back into the sea. Save you from eternal death. And give you eternal life. Sweet news. And friends, when we take that into our hearts... It really helps us on the days when loving him is hard. It really helps us to see things clearly when he calls us to love our neighbors. Because one danger is, I think, oh, the people around me, they seem fine. They don't, need, they don't really need to know about Jesus. They're, they're fine. They're... They do need to know about Jesus because they are dying. They need Jesus like a beached whale needs the ocean. They do. It gives me clarity about them. And, and, and the other danger is I, I'm kind of wary of what it will cost me to love them because what it will cost me to give them my time and share my stuff with them and tell them about Jesus. And I worry that if I do all that, I will miss out on life and the things I really need. And do you see, we are not the people missing out on life. Everyone else is chasing the the thing that's missing in their lives, the thing they think they'll need, the thing they think that if I have that, then I'll have my deepest needs met. If I just get the, the job I really want, the dream job, the relationship, the, the bigger house with a bit of garden. And friends, we are the people who have been given what everyone else is chasing after. See, we are the people who've been, who, whose deepest need has been met. Because we've been restored to the ocean. See, he has given us the life that we crave. The life that we're chasing. He's given it to us. It's the life that we've made for. It's life with him. It starts now and lasts forever. Do you see, if we have that, if we have him, as we've said already, we have enough. 
It means we are not the people who are missing out. We've got the treasure. We've got the treasure that everyone else is looking for and running after. We've got it. Because we have his love. Which means we are rich. We are rich. Because we have him. And I wonder if you believe that. Do you believe that? You're rich because you have him. When you do believe that, it sets you free. Because it means you don't have to spend your days trying to get what you think you need because you've got it. You've got what you need. And it means you can switch. You can switch from being someone who is always trying to get to being someone who can give. Because his love has met my deepest need. Eternal life. I want to end where I started. Do you know that God loves you? Do you know that? That he loves you? John Owen was a 17th century pastor and theologian. He said this, he said, the greatest sorrow and burden that you can lay on the Father, the greatest unkindness that you can do to him is not to believe that he loves you. Extraordinary. He says, if you, if you don't believe that God loves you, Owen says, it's an unkindness. You're not being fair to him because see how much he loves you. He loves you with a love you don't deserve, which means you can never undeserve it. It's for keeps. He loves you with a love that's costly. He doesn't take from you. He gives. He gives. He gives his only son. And he loves you with a love that meets your deepest need. He gives you eternal life, life with him forever. And, and, and friends, maybe, maybe you've drifted from him this morning because you, you started to think perhaps he doesn't care. And maybe today he's opened his eye, your eyes, to see afresh how much he does love you. And so maybe today you need to turn back to him. Give him your heart afresh. Give your love to the God who loves you. But maybe you've never given him your heart. And you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, I get it. I get it. I get how he loves me. I, I, want to, I want to give him my heart. I want to love him. I want to know that love. How? How do I do it? Jesus says, whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Believes. Believes is not just assent to the fact that he exists. Believes means put your faith in the Son of God. The Son God has given us. Give him your heart because he's your only hope. And if you're not sure whether he'll have you, remember it's, do you see, whoever believes, whoever you are, whatever your story, whatever you've done, whatever has been done to you, give him your heart he will welcome you into life with him, loved by him today 
and forever. Is that not good news? Let's be quiet. Let's pray. I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you think it's a prayer that you want to pray today, then pray along in your heart. So I'm going to pray it slowly to give you time to pray along in your heart. It's going to go, sorry, thank you, please. So let's pray. Lord God, sorry. Sorry for not believing that you love me, for thinking I was better off without you. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for giving me your son to show me your love, to rescue me from eternal death for eternal life. And Lord God, please, please, by your Spirit, help me now to give my heart to you, to put my faith in your Son, to live with you as my God and love you now and forever. Amen.